This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. Welcome to um, to Amazing Grace for another week. Hello, um, my name is Dennis Price, and <coughs> we I, I'm here today on my own. My wife um, she went up to uh, see her mother. Uh, she's a hundred, just about a hundred and a half. Isn't that amazing? And uh, life is not easy at a hundred. So. My wife has gone up to spend a wee bit of time um, with um, my um, um, my mum, or Lynette's mum, I should say. So here at Amazing Grace, we love to hear from you. We also have some free giveaways, um, a DVD on how the world will end in the book Steps to Christ. The book Steps to Christ, for instance, is such a wonderful book. The first chapter is about the love of God and in our need of God, and it goes through the steps on how to become a follower of Jesus. And there's a chapter there, how can we tell if we are a child of God? How can we tell if we've been born again? And then um, it goes on how to read the Bible, how to pray, um, what to do with doubt, rejoicing. So it's it's not only how to come to God, um, come to Jesus, but also how to stay a Christian. <clears throat> now we're happy to pray um, for a friend, family member, um, you just contact us, and you can contact us. Um, but before, um, well, I, no, you can contact us either by email or text us. The email address is www.mpr.nz, or you can contact us on or text us on o double two six eight one five two one six. So those contact details again, www.mpr.nz or you can text us on 022-6815-216. Now also, <clears throat> um, we like to mention the Signs Magazine, which is a wonderful magazine and it deals with things on family, depression. It deals with the issues that people face, and it has some some articles dealing with faith, and the questions that relate to um, faith. Now you can find them in a lot of takeaways in Palmerston North. So we would just like to start with a prayer, and we're just going to have a, a devotional. And I, I just want to. Um, 
tell you a story about um, an amazing person. And <clears throat> anyhow, we'll start with a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that um, we can be here today. Pray for each of the um, listeners, Lord. May you bless them and be close to them. Um, help them know that you love them. You have a purpose for their life, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So guide us now as I tell a story about Annie Sutherland. <clears throat> so the, the story about Annie Sutherland. Now, in First John 4, 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. So the world would be wonderful if that was true, wouldn't it? There'd be no lying, no stealing, no adultery, be no killing, would there? It would be a wonderful place. So, my dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So everyone who loves. I want to tell you the story of um, Annie Sutherland, which I I read many years ago, many years ago. Um, And it goes like this. Um, Many years ago in a, a mental institute just outside Boston, a young girl known as Little Annie, was um, she was locked in a dungeon. This institution was one of the more enlightened ones for treatment uh, of the mentally disturbed. However, the doctors felt that a dungeon was the only place for those who were hopelessly insane. In little Annie's case, they saw no hope for her. So she was consigned to a living death in that small cage which she received little light and even less hope. Life had been hard for Annie Sutherland. First, her mother died when she was only eight years old, and then two years later her father deserted her and her brother, and they were sent to the poorhouse. Now, the poorhouse was so overcrowded that um, the two children slept in what was known as the dead room, a dead room where the dead bodies were laid out to await burial. Annie's brother was sickly, and six months later he died. And at 14 years old, little Annie nearly went blind. I mean, in many ways, uh, little Annie was like, a, like an animal. On occasion, she would violently attack the person who came into her cage. At other times, she would completely um, ignore them. Now, I believe there is hope for anyone, anyone, no matter what situation, if they turn to God and allow God into their lives. So just listen how this um, this woman, or this girl, Annie, and how her life changed. See, it says love comes from God. When an elderly nurse started visiting her, little Annie gave no indication that she was even aware of her presence. The elderly nurse um, <clears throat> said, um, yeah, the elderly nurse would say things like, like, I know you're not crazy like they think. You're hurting real bad. I love you, Annie, and I've come, I'll come tomorrow to talk. So every Thursday, 
the nurse brought brownies, and though she did not talk, she started eating the brownies. The nurse kept coming back, and little Annie began to respond to the nurse's kindness. (laughs) She started to smile, to talk. She she stopped kicking and screaming. The doctors noticed a change in Annie and decided that she didn't need to be um, isolated anymore. She was sent to a school for the blind in Boston where she learned sign language and found kind teachers who loved her and believed in her as much as an old nurse. It's amazing how God works, you know. <laughs> it is really amazing. Uh, when, when we think of this uh, this young woman's future. Um, right. They they helped her to get an operation. See, she learnt Braille, um, how to read Braille, um, how she was blind. And it's just interesting, the future of her life. So she had an operation and got back her sight. Now, at the age of 20, when she left the Perkins Institute in Boston to undertake what seemed an impossible task, I find this quite moving, my friends, the task of educating a deaf, dumb, and blind child. Now, most people have heard of um, Helen Keller, and uh, she was born um, perfectly normal for the first 18 months of her life. She could see and hear like other children and had even begun to talk. Then she was struck down by an illness which left her deaf, dumb, blind at the age of 19 months, which blighted her whole existence. She began to grow up uh, like a wild animal in the jungle. She smashed and destroyed every object that displeased her. She would cram her food into her mouth with both hands, and if anyone tried to correct her, she would flung herself upon the floor, kicking and screaming. In utter despair, her parents sent to the Perkins Institute for the Blind in Boston, pleading for a teacher. <laughs> See, it's just marvellous how God works. Then, like an angel of light, Annie Sutherland came into that tragic life and undertook what seemed an impossible task of educating a deaf, dumb, blind child. I cannot possibly make clear in a few words the miracle of Annie Sutherland wrought with Helen Keller, nor how one short month she succeeded in communicating with a child who lived in utter darkness and withering silence. Helen Keller was totally blind, yet she has read far more books than most people um, can see. She she has probably read a hundred times as many books as the average person. She made a motion she made a motion picture of her own life and acted in it. She was totally deaf, yet enjoyed music far more than many people who can hear. Isn't that amazing? Um, many years later in her life, Queen Victoria of England. Oh, this is marvellous. Um, pinning England's highest award on a foreigner asked Helen Keller, how do you accomplish 
Uh, how do you account for your remarkable accomplishments in your life? How do you explain the fact that even though you were both blind and deaf, you were able to accomplish so much? Now, I just think this is marvellous. It says, without a moment's hesitation, Helen Keller, she said, had it not been for Annie Sutherland, the name of Helen Keller would have remained unknown. Isn't that interesting? See, that tragic situation of Annie Sutherland as a child and growing up, um, and the experience that we she went through and how she fitted into this plan of God's to be um, the person to help Helen Keller. Isn't that amazing? Now, Napoleon, for instance, had everything uh, usually... Um, no, he had everything that men usually crave, glory, power, riches. Yet he said at St. Helena, we said to St. Helena... I have never known six happy days in my life. While Helen Keller, blind, deaf, dumb, declared, I have found life so beautiful. Isn't that, isn't that great? See, it's our attitude. And then I've got the thought here. I don't know where I got it. Our life is what our thoughts make it. If you think happy thoughts, you'll be happy. If you think fear thoughts, you will be fearful. If you think hopeful thoughts, you will be full of hope. The Bible says, guard well the avenues to your soul. Some of the modern versions say, guard well your thoughts. Our thoughts are really important. So <clears throat> i just like to um, finish that section with a prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you um, for the life of Annie Sutherland and what you did in her life and what you did in Helen Keller's um, life, Lord. It's amazing what you can do. No case is hopeless with you. And you delight in taking the hopeless cases. So, Lord, for anyone that, that is listening and they feel hopeless, Lord, may they be encouraged by this amazing story of Annie Sutherland and Helen Keller. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to um, play a song. Um, it's I think I've got the right Margaret Becker. And say the name. Thank you. 
Isn't that a powerful song? Um, I really like that song because it's really what it's all about, Jesus. In Jesus we, <clears throat> if the sun shall set you free, you are free indeed. I love that verse from John 8. Now, <clears throat> we um, we have a health um, section now, and my wife is um, reading um, through a book now, I haven't got the book, but I just thought it would be good to um, deal with some common questions, especially uh, from Christians um, regarding health. Now, for instance, um, Jesus. Didn't Jesus say, it's not what goes into a man, but it what goes out that defiles him? Why put so much emphasis on health? Does it really make much difference, right? It's interesting that in the Bible, God gave the diet for man and, and man and woman in Genesis, fruits, nuts, and grains. And um, in Genesis three, after sin, vegetables. And now, 
he only gave permission to eat meat at the time of the flood because everything, all vegetation was destroyed. Now, <clears throat> I just go into this question here: Did Jesus say? Um, didn't Jesus say it's not what goes into a man, but it's what goes out which defiles him? Why put so much emphasis on health? Does it really make much difference? And we would like to say yes, it does. Now the passage under consideration is Mark seven, eighteen to twenty. What issues are involved here? The New Testament plainly declares, uh, "What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Glorify God in your body." If any man defies the temple of God, him will God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are ye? So these are all verses in the Bible. Whatsoever therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the scriptures are consistent. They don't tell us to carefully consider what we eat and drink in one place and then um, that it doesn't matter what we eat or drink in another. Let's summarize. In Mark 7, it is entirely in Mark 7, it, in its entirety, the Pharisees had very strict laws regarding ceremonial cleansing. They believed um, to touch a Gentile, a non-Jew, in the marketplace was defiling. All the cooking utensils, such as pots and cups and plates, must be washed thoroughly, lest some Gentile touch them, thereby defiling them. So Mark 7, 1 to 5, the object of discussion in uh, Mark 7 was not the Leviticus health laws, which is in Leviticus 11, which gives the distinction between the clean and the unclean animals. Um, <coughs> see, these Leviticus laws... Um, in Leviticus um, 11 and Deuteronomy 14 were given by a loving God to preserve the health of his people. But the, but the Jewish traditions of the elders, the Pharisees believed that to eat with unwashed hands, you are, you absorbed or took defilement from the Jews. The question here is not what you eat, but how you eat. The issue is not, um, <coughs> you know, to do away with the health laws, which our Lord himself gave, but rather a rejection of the idea of ceremonial defilement by touching Gentiles. In this context, it is nothing from outside you to produce a defilement of sin. All sin results in the mind. The Jews rejected um, God's commandments. The Jews rejected God's commandments to maintain their traditions of exclusiveness. The expression um, purging all meats, in verse 19, it's better translate purging all food. The word, um, well, I should say no food is ceremony unclean. No food carries sin within it. Not from without, but from 
within the sin arises. Jesus did not complain, Jesus did not consider unclean animals food. They were scavengers, never to be eaten. The issue in Mark 7 is not health, which comes from eating unclean animals, but ceremonial defilement, which comes from touching Gentiles and transferring it through the, through the food into the body. So <clears throat> Mark 7 really has nothing to do with what we eat. It's just defilement of the body. Now, here's another question. Didn't the Apostle Paul say, meat doesn't commend us to God, we are no better or worse if we eat it? Didn't he declare, whatever is sold in the marketplace, eat, question, um, asking no questions for conscience sake? It's uh, 1 Corinthians 10.25. In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 provides the background for the answer to these thoughtful questions. Paul introduces the passage by saying, Now is touching things offered to idols, so there um, will be no uh, misunderstanding um, he emphasizes again, verse 4, is concerning those things which are offered to sacrifice in idols. In 1 Corinthians 10.28, at the end of the discussion, he speaks of meat offered in sacrifice to idols. The portion of the meat which was used as idol worship at pagan temples in Corinth was sold in the marketplace. This led some very strict Jews to become vegetarians. In Romans fourteen two to four, the issue at stake here is whether it is morally wrong to eat meat uh, offered to idols. In eating, uh, will one be participating in idol worship? Poor response is idols are nothing at all. We know better or worse if we eat it. Your liberty is a stumbling block. Uh, no, if your liberty is a stumbling block to someone else, offending their weak conscience, don't keep um, any meat offered to idols. It's at stake here is not unclean foods, but foods offered to idols. Jesus did not come to cleanse pigs. He came to address sinners, unclean animals, which are un, unhealthy in the Old Testament are still unhealthy in the New, since our Lord is not withholding from us anything that's good, like it says in Psalms 84, um, verse 11. Unclean animals are not good things. So like it says in uh, Leviticus um, 11, and Deuteronomy 14, it gives a, um, the distinction between the clean and the unclean animals. And then we would say today it's, um, <clears throat> it's safer not to eat any animal products because of the disease and how it affects our body. So just a few thoughts there on health, and now it's come time to have a break. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. 
check out npr.nz for more information. Welcome back to uh, Amazing Grace um, radio program. Now, I have been going through the book of Revelation and uh, we're at the end of Revelation 12 and we've been sharing a few thoughts here. This is an extremely important book, especially at our time in history when we're coming close to the... um, the final events of his history and we have no idea how soon this is going to be but all we know that um, we are getting close. Now today I would like to talk on one verse but I'd just like to read this thought here um, I've got on a card. The Apostle John, John wrote this work while banquished on the Isle of Patmos because of his faith. In it, he describes a vision he received to comfort Christians suffering uh, for their faith. It is a graphic, symbolic, and ultimately glorious vision of Christ's victory over sin, evil, and death. It also depicts the incredible joy and freedom we will experience in heaven. As, As you read this book, let your mind grasp afresh. The new pictures of our higher power, the God of the Bible. So today, um, like I said, I just want to concentrate on the last verse on um, chapter chapter 12, chapter 12, 17. And this is what it says. This is what it says. Um, the dragon. The dragon was enraged with the woman and he went he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep um, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus right so the dragon the dragon <coughs> which um, revelation 12 verse 9 says it is uh, the devil now the woman, remember at the beginning uh, of chapter 12, she gave birth to a baby and that baby was Jesus. So the church represents um, the woman, I should say. The woman represents the church. right? So in Revelation 17 we have a bad woman, a bad woman. So this is a bad church and it's riding a beast and in verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this is a religious power, right? So it's a church. A woman stands for a church in Bible prophecy. Now, <clears throat> now I just want to read... Um, <clears throat> well, should I ask... Um, I should ask, what... Do we learn from this verse? So we, we learn that the dragon, the dragon is Satan and the woman represents the church. And um, I just want to, um, well, no, maybe I, I, I was going to read um, from, um, I've promoted it quite a few times, but these little booklets going right through the book of Revelation called Revelation, Hope, Meaning and Purpose. And I've got um, s- um, session seven, 
Now, you, all you got to do is put into Google and you can get these. You can buy them. And they're well worth it. It's the best I've seen on the book of Revelation for lay people. Now, I'm just going to read from uh, page 15 from this guide. Verse 17 is a guidepost because it summarizes what has been happening and gives in a, in a nutshell what is coming up next. As such is um, serves as an introduction to Revelation 13 where we find the final conflict between the dragon and the followers of Jesus. Those who survived this last great crisis are described as the rest of her offspring against whom Satan makes war. So the Greek word used here describes, well, which means uh, the remaining ones or the rest. Those people um, have two identifying marks. Now, this is really important, right? And it says the first of, um, uh, yes, we saw that the first table of the Ten Commandments is the focus in Revelation 13. Well, we will see. The issue will be worship. Who who we are to worship or how we are to worship and when we are to worship. So the commandments are really important. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's um, in John 14. John 14, let me turn to it in my Bible here. Um, Keeping God's commandments is evidence that we are a child of God because when we're born again, the Bible says that um, he will write his law on our hearts and he'll move us to keep them because Jesus died for the transgression of the law and um, when we're born again, he gives us a love for the law and to keep them. So John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then it says down 21, Those who have my commands and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved to the Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And those, uh, where is it now? Here. Uh, 23, Jesus answered, said, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not, this verse 24, whoever does not love me uh, does not keep my words. And, um, oh, excuse, the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. So clearly keeping the commandments are very important. Now the second, um, it's interesting that um, the passage, um, this passage demands a lot of attention. So verse 17, it demands a lot of attention. And uh, it goes on to say, a simple explanation of it is talking about Jesus bearing witness to himself through those who have been gifted, <coughs> excused, 
um, by the gift of prophecy. <coughs> I think it's come time to um, have a break and we're going to have a, a, another song.
Isn't that a powerful song? I love that song. <clears throat> I bought that CD many, many years ago, and um, I just love that song, especially. Now, we're looking at um, today, Revelation um, 12, uh, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, this testimony of Jesus. Now, I looked up what some other um, versions said. The Good News Bible says, faithful to the truth revealed by Jesus. The contemporary um, uh, English version, both of those are translations from the Bible Society, faithful to, uh, faithful to what Jesus taught. And the New Living um, Bible, uh, they confess they belong to Jesus. See, it's going to be extremely hard um, at that time when this is talking about, um, because in Matthew 24, verse 9, it says, you will be hated by all nations because of me. So it's going to be difficult, difficult. But um, people will... Uh, confess Jesus, come what may. Now, the Amplified Bible puts it this way. Um, who obey God's commands, who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, and adhere to to it and bear witness to him. So I thought that was a really good translation, a good summary. Who obey God's commandments, who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, and adhere to it and bear witness to Jesus. Isn't that good? Now, the idea of remnant. Remnant means the word, um, the rest or the remnant. Describing those who remain faithful to Jesus while the majority apostatize. And that's always seems to be the way. That was the time of Elijah. Remember Elijah said um, that he thought he was the only one. And God said that he had reserved 7,000 had not been the knee to bow. So... While the majority of the people of the world um, side with Satan at the end of time, a group of people whom God um, has will raise up or has raised up will remain faithful to Jesus in the face of Satan's uh, full fury. This is the greatest crisis that the world has ever seen because it's going to be global. So the end time remnant keep God's commandments. Revelation 13 shows that the first table of the Decalogue will be a center to the end time conflict. The key component of the first four commandments is worship. The main issue in the final crisis is who should we worship? While the people of the world will choose to worship the image of the beast, the remnant will worship God the Creator. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath, points specifically to God as creator, which is one reason it will play a pivotal role in the final crisis. So <clears throat> interesting times ahead, isn't it? Interesting times. Now, um, in Revelation um, twelve seventeen, we have Satan's uh, end time strategy, and um, 
in Revelation or in verse 17 marks a shift in Satan's strategy as to try to win the people um, of the world and even seeks to deceive God's faithful followers. And throughout uh, Christian history, Satan has opposed um, God's work of salvation primarily by means of subtle compromise within the church and through coercion or persecution from without. History shows that while successful for many centuries, this strategy was counteracted by the Reformation, the gradual rediscovery of biblical truth for God's people. However, as Satan realises his time is running out, he intensifies his effort and he goes to wage war against God's End time remnant. He attacks his attack on the remnant will include a large element of deceptions, demons working miracles, and uh, spiritualistic manifestations will be introduced. And it is significant that the word deceive is used regularly in Revelation 12 to 20 to describe Satan's end-time activities. The word deceive uh, begins in Revelation 12, verse 9, and concludes in Revelation 20, 7 to 10. The description of Satan's end-time activities uh, in Revelation. Now, when you look at the only major sermon that Jesus mentioned on the signs of the end of the world, um, which is Matthew 24. And when you look at verses, verse 4 and 5, 11 and 12 and 21, it all talks about deception. Um, when you look at Second um, Thessalonians 2, 8 to 12, it's all about deception. <clears throat> so deception is a powerful uh, weapon in the devil's hands. Right, so <clears throat> I'd like to have another break and play you another song from Margaret um, Becker. Margaret Becker? And uh, it's the first one on the album. <clears throat> Steps in my feet have taken in 
Isn't it a powerful song, isn't it? A powerful song. Now, we're just about coming to the end of our program, and I want to share something that I came across um, this week, and I sent it to um, a few people, and it's called The Secret of Endurance, because what's ahead, we will surely need it. And I would like to read um, <clears throat> from First Peter um, 6, Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Be glad about this, even though you may now be necessary for you to be in sad, uh, to be sad for a while because of the many kinds of trials you suffer. Their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even though gold, which um, can be destroyed, uh, is tested by fire, so your faith, which is much more precious than gold, must be tested so that it may endure. Then you will receive praise and honour and glory on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, I got this from William Barclay, and you can find it online. Herein you rejoice, even if at this present necessity, that for a brief time you should be grieved by all kinds of trials, for the object of the trial is that you your trial um, that you be tried and t- 
tested um, faith more precious than gold, which perishes, though it is tested by fire, may win praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ shall appear. Peter comes to the actual situation in life which the readers found themselves. Their Christianity had always made them unpopular, and now they were facing almost certain persecution. And soon the um, storm was going to break and life was going to be an agonizing thing. In face of the threatening situation, Peter, in effect, reminded them of three things why they can stand uh, anything that may come upon them. First, <clears throat> they can stand anything because of what they are able to look forward to. At the end, there is for them a magnificent um, inheritance, life with God. In fact, this is how the Westcott uh, understands the phrase, in the last times, we have taken it to mean the time when the world, as we know it, will come to an end. But the Greek can actually mean when the worst comes to the worst, it is then, says um, Westcott, when things have reached the limit, the saving power of Christ will be displayed. Now, I've got to stop. I've just run out of time, and I will have to share that um, next time. So I uh, um, must say goodbye, and um, God bless you. And um, <clears throat> until next time, uh, may God be close and with you and lead you in your life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.